Welcome to Inspiring Stories from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is A Decision for Life. On January 22, 1973, the United States Supreme Court ruled that women have a guaranteed right to an abortion during a pregnancy's first trimester. It also permitted the government to regulate second trimester abortions in the interest of the mother's health. This was the infamous Roe v. Wade decision, brought by Norma McCorvey under her alias Jane Roe, against Henry B. Wade, a Texas district attorney, in 1969. Since that ruling, tens of millions of unborn children have perished. This court decision was particularly significant for Joe Terry, a member of the popular 1950s band Danny and the Juniors, and his wife, Joyce. During those impassioned years of debate about abortion, they faced a true crisis pregnancy. A rare blood disease led to the doctor's grim prediction that unless Joyce got an abortion, she probably would not live, nor would her baby. At a low ebb in his singing career, and in his life in general, Joe thought an abortion might be the right answer, until someone convinced him otherwise. The following is Joe's story in his own words. The rain pelted against my windshield, driving a deep chill through my anxious spirit as I drove to the drugstore. My wife and I had left our two children with her mother so we could come to the Catskills looking for answers to our problems. So far, all we got were terrible colds. Joyce sat beside me in the passenger seat, too sick and discouraged for words. That was okay with me. I had nothing to say. Everything was a mess. My career had hit a dead end, and I was afraid Joyce was going to die. She was pregnant against the doctor's orders. I didn't know where to turn. I had got off to such a great start, too. When I was 16, I started singing baritone with a group called the Juveneers. Like many young performers in Philadelphia, we sang on street corners. One night in 1957, we got the attention of record producer John Madeira by singing under his window. Get lost, he shouted. You're waking my kids. We persisted, though, and he finally came downstairs in his bathrobe to listen. In a few dizzying weeks, we changed our name to Danny and the Juniors. Our lead singer was Danny Rapp and made a hit appearance on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Our song At the Hop skyrocketed to the top of the American record charts like an Atlas missile. It orbited there for seven incredible weeks and sold two and a half million copies. Our next song, Rock and Roll is Here to Stay, became a teenage anthem. Altogether, Danny and the Juniors made 114 appearances on American Bandstand alone. We sang our first two hits, plus Twist in USA, Pony Express, Dottie, and many other songs to screaming audiences worldwide. It was like something you dream about. For me, that time really was like the Happy Days TV show. 
My biggest problem in life was getting homework done. After concerts, I'd look for the girls who wore glasses and ask them if they knew anything about math. The magic lasted only six years, though. Following staggering successes, Danny and the juniors crashed and burned. In 1962 and 63, our new releases barely got launched. Then the Beatles invaded America's music kingdom. Suddenly, the record companies wanted long hair and electric guitars, not the doo-wop street corner sound. We broke up in 1964, and I decided to go solo. One eager promoter told me, change your name to Finkel Farkle, you'll be a big success. Absolutely not, I told him, I'll never be Finkel Farkle. But I did become Jude Nova, Jude after Hey Jude, and Nova because my last name is Terranova. I gave in a little to the trends without selling myself even more. It was still a bust though. In less than a year, I returned to my former stage name, Joe Terry. I couldn't seem to do anything right. I went from American Bandstand to a Philadelphia cab stand. I took up taxi driving to keep a roof over my young family's head while I wrote songs on the side, songs nobody wanted to hear. I found it really embarrassing when people would get into the cab and say, I've seen you before. You're from Danny and the Juniors. I'd tell them, no, that's my brother. I also started drinking heavily. A lot of performers in my position did. I became hard to live with. When Joyce found out she was pregnant for the third time, the bottom fell out of my life. The first time Joyce got pregnant, she kept blacking out and constantly felt exhausted. At first, the doctors feared she had leukemia. Then they discovered that the problem was thalassemia, an abnormality in the red blood cells. It's also known as Mediterranean anemia because many people from that area get it. The doctors gave Joyce five blood transfusions during her pregnancy, and she ate steak or liver every night for dinner to build up her red blood cells. Joyce made it through the first time, and we had a healthy son, Joseph, whom we call Terry. The doctors advised us not to have more children. Every time, they said, the risks to the mother and child become greater. We found out how true that was when Joyce got pregnant with our daughter, Vicki. After one transfusion, Joyce got hepatitis and nearly died. Any more children after this, the doctors warned, and you're courting disaster. Amazingly, my wife got pregnant again. The doctors thought an abortion was the answer. You know you'll both probably die otherwise, one of them told her. Our family sided with the physicians. Use your head, Joyce, they said. You have two beautiful children. Do you realize what could happen? We did. If Joyce died, our kids would be left with a father who could barely cope with his own life, let alone theirs. The doctors tried to sway us. They suggested probable odds, then added, we hope to God that you don't go through with this pregnancy. There was so much to think about. I was doing the cab thing, drinking to excess, and failing constantly at jump-starting my career. I wasn't sure what Joyce should do. 
I didn't like the idea of abortion, but then again, my wife's life was in danger, and I needed her. When I asked her what she wanted to do, Joyce said, God has been with me my whole life. He'll get me through this. I couldn't figure out why she wanted this baby so much when we already had two children, nor did I share her faith. This was 1970, and like many young people, I was questioning God. Now I needed answers and fast. I thought that by going to the Catskills, I could get a singing job and everything would be all right again. Inwardly, though, I knew something more than music was missing from my life. I did not get the job I so desired. As I drove to the drugstore in the pouring rain, I knew that if something didn't give soon, I'd give up. I was standing on the edge of an emotional cliff and knew it wouldn't take much to get me to jump. I pulled into the parking lot and turned off the car. Stealing myself against the downpour, I hurried into the pharmacy. Right then and there, my emotions spilled over like so many raindrops. I silently cried out in anguish to a God I wasn't sure existed. It surprised me. Maybe it's because I used to believe when I was a kid, I reasoned. My parents had sent me to catechism in church when I was growing up, and I had faith then. I also remembered how, right before Danny and the Juniors made it big, sometimes late at night, I'd sit up and watch TV. I don't know why, but I would get this overwhelming feeling of God's goodness. It made me feel good about life, too. It was strange and wonderful. Then the group made it big, and I started ignoring God. Once in a while on the road, though, I'd see a church and go inside. At the same time, though, I explored other religions. It all left me feeling empty and afraid. The gray-haired pharmacist cleared his throat, interrupting my disturbed thoughts. May I help you, he asked. I have two prescriptions for Terra Nova, I muttered. As he shuffled off to get them, I reached into my pocket for my wallet. That's when my eye caught a rack full of 35-cent pamphlets on the counter. One of them practically reached out and grabbed me by the heart. It was called, How to Keep Your Faith. When I read the title, I suddenly knew what my problem was. I had lost my faith in God, myself, in everything. The whole terrible mess of my life started making sense as that same peaceful feeling I had known as a teenager overwhelmed me once again with a sense of God's goodness. Fear peeled away like the skin of a ripe orange, leaving me refreshed and at peace for the first time in years. I'll take this too, I told the druggist, holding up the book. It was God's answer to my desperate prayer for help. I knew that the simple message would go further to heal me than any prescription. I skipped out to the car like Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain and told Joyce what had happened. God's going to work everything out, I said. She was incredulous. Her eyes welled up with tears as she laid her hand on mine. I have you back again. She smiled weakly. It was like I had lost you, like you had become some other person. God began renewing every area of my life. A few months before Joyce's due date, Danny and the juniors accepted a low-paying gig 
at the Academy of Music in New York's Greenwich Village. We headlined 12 rock and roll acts, and the show was a huge success. The 50s nostalgia movement, which would result in the movie American Graffiti and the TV shows Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, had started. A month later, we did another triumphant rock and roll show, this time at Madison Square Garden. Danny and the Juniors began touring the country as the 50s revival broke out first in one part of the U.S., then another. One thing remained, Joyce's high-risk delivery. When my wife went into labor in January of 1971, I had some anxious moments. While she was in the delivery room, I went to the snack shop for coffee. On the way back upstairs, there was a code blue in maternity. I just knew something was wrong with Joyce. A bunch of doctors crowded into the elevator with me, and I got very upset. It's my wife, I kept saying. I know it's my wife. They managed to throw me off, telling me everything would be all right. I went back to the waiting room to calm down, to draw on the faith reserves I'd just started building up. When I got composed again, leaning on the good God I knew was with us, I got back on the elevator. A nurse was there with a tiny baby. How cute, I said. Yes, it's the Terra Nova baby, she answered. It's a boy. That's my son, I cried out. My cup overflowed. As it turned out, Joyce was fine too. The code blue had been an unfortunate mix-up. With Raymond's birth, I had everything I wanted. A loving, dedicated wife, three healthy children, a thriving singing career, and best of all, my faith in God. My life was a tiny bit like Job's. What came after my afflictions was even better than what had come before. God brought Raymond into my life when I didn't know how or if I could go on. Today he is a constant reminder that God can fix the most broken problems I have if I just leave them in his hands. While I'm awfully glad that rock and roll is here to stay, it means far more to me that the same can be said for my faith in God. Thank you for joining me for Inspiring Stories from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.